Welcome to Leadership Reimagined. I'm Dr. Jane Lovish, your host. During each episode of Leadership Reimagined, we take a look at leadership from the vantage point of what it's going to take for leaders to lead their organizations forward into a new future. And in this episode, we're creating that new future. Today, I'd like to welcome Carol Schull. Carol is the founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, where she is a talent equity and leadership advisory expert. Recognized for her proficiency in corporate leadership, she spent three decades helping executives gain clarity in their careers, make bold leadership moves, and create cultures of performance. Schultz and her team have helped hundreds of companies from seed stage pre-initial public offerings to publicly traded companies transform their organizations and create sustainable talent-centric cultures that run at maximum efficiency. She's the host of the popular podcast, Authentically Successful, and author of the new book, Powered by People, How Talent-Centric Organizations Master Recruitment, Retention, and Revenue, and How to Build One. Carol, welcome, and thank you for being here today. Well, thanks for having me, Jane. It's a pleasure to be here. You are welcome. This is so exciting. And and I love the name of your book, Powered <laughs> by People. You know what? Unfortunately, we have to remind people that, right? Unfortunately, yes, we do. Yeah. An organization does not create what it's out and cause what it's out to create with just a leadership team. No. Not even close. That's only step one. Yeah. <laughs> so when you look at that powered by people, talent-centric organizations, mm -hmm. what's one of the key challenges that you see leaders experiencing? I had somebody ask me recently, what, you know, why do CEOs typically call you or what do they think their problem is? Well, they think they have a recruiting problem <laughs> when they really have a strategy problem. <laughs> It's really that simple. Everybody thinks they have a recruiting problem. And that's, that's, I don't use this word lightly. That's really never the problem. How does that look to a CEO when they've got, when they think they have a recruiting problem and they really have a strategy problem? Well, they're going to see it. They're going to see the symptoms. In other, so they're going to see recruiting is going to be a symptom. Retention is going to be a symptom of the problem. Those are generally two of the biggest places that you start to see that you have a problem. You know, when I start asking founders or CEOs, you know, why they think they have that kind of a problem, eventually I'm going to get to them realizing, oh, that's not really what our problem is. That's just a symptom of our problem. When I work with CEOs and we start talking about those same issues, mm -hmm. we go back and we look at what their vision is mm -hmm. and do their employees even know really Correct. what their vision is? Yep. That is one of the first questions I ask in my discovery meetings with the executive team. I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> I'll ask each member. I mean, those meetings run about two hours with each executive. And there's a couple of questions I, you know, after the kind of, you know, icebreaker, get to know each other for a few minutes. I want to find out, you know, what's your vision for the company? The whole purpose of discovery is not to lambast anybody for not knowing things. It's to look at where the gap is. 
in alignment, right? So on a scale of one to 10, I will ask each individual, what's your vision for the company, right? So if I'm interviewing, let's say there's six executives on the team, including the CEO, how many different, do I get the same answer from six people? Do I get four of the same answers and two different answers? <laughs> what do I get, right? Uh, you know, I also ask a question to give me an idea of, this really gives a lot of a lot of information on how aligned they are. What department or function do you think is the most important is the most important to the success of the organization? I often, I mean, I always get different answers. I shouldn't even say often. I asked this of a CEO once, and he said, "Well, if you ask my head of sales, he's going to say he's the most important guy. This is the most you know we we sell. If you ask the chief technical officer, he's going to say, well, we're the most important. Sales wouldn't have anything to sell if it weren't for us." <laughs> And if you ask my CFO, he'll tell you that he's the most important guy because he holds the purse strings. I said, well, what's your answer? And he said, I don't think there's a most important function. I think they all have to work together. And I said, that's actually the right answer. Why doesn't your team know that? So the point, Jane, is that all that tells me is they're just out of alignment, mm -hmm. right? And there are lots of people out there that are doing alignment, telling people, you know, we're going to get you aligned and that's going to fix all your problems. Guess what? That's not going to fix all your problems. It's only going to fix your alignment problem. If you don't understand and start to work at how to disseminate that inf information throughout your entire organization, a great part of the work I do is around communication. You know, I listen to the actual language people use. We sometimes aren't paying attention to how our, our use of language and how that lands for the receiver. So that's, those are just the first pieces and getting people in, into alignment, you know, it could take longer with some people than others on that executive team, you know, that, and that's where the coaching comes in for me to start working and discover where those blind spots, you know, what's holding you back from being the great leader you can be. We all think we're such great communicators. <laughs> it's like, well, I said it. Mm -hmm. The question isn't what you said. It's what did they hear? That's right. How it's perceived. That's exactly yeah. right. It doesn't matter what you or I say to somebody. What matters is how they how they listen it. Sometimes the interesting thing is, is the receiver knows that it doesn't come across, but they don't, they can't really put it together in a way to have their manager understand that this is not the communication that works for me. And that's where a culture of feedback comes in, building a culture of feedback, which has to come from the CEO slash CEO founder. And it's really important to allow that and this always starts with the the leadership team is to allow a safe space to say those things That's right. and to be authentic mm -hmm. and if the leadership team is never authentic employees are never going to be authentic of course not and that's why it has to start from the ceo founder right and you know i just had this conversation with somebody how does that happen well first of all you have to have the whole executive team aligned along this right you can't have one person who's you know, treating their people like crap. But once that is in place, ultimately the CEO, and I'm a firm believer in this and this works, the CEO needs to meet with the entire organization. I don't mean individually, I mean as a group. Like everybody needs to be either physically in the same place. That's my preference is to say, you really need to do this in a physical space. If that can't happen with everybody. Maybe you have people strewn about the world and you don't want to bring everybody in at this time. Then some people are going to enter on, you know, enter on a video call. But the CEO has to really profess in an authentic way, this is what I'm committed to. I'm committed to what I refer to as a culture of feedback. And here's what that means. That means anybody can come to me and I will take it as a contribution. I'm not going to throw you under a bus. 
I'm not even going to throw your manager under a bus. So you should be able to speak to anybody above, below, or to the side of you. But that's where the communication skills comes in. You can't say to somebody, well, you know, when you say this, blah, 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 blah. It's partly teaching people that when I hear this, when it lands in my world, this is how it makes me feel. This doesn't work for me because. So communication is just, as you know, I've pointed out and as you've pointed out as well, is so uber important. I cannot even stress it enough. They just don't get how they use their language, how it impacts others. And one of the things that I have taken taken on doing with a client of mine Mm -hmm. is we've actually started looking words up in the dictionary. Great. Because so often we use words in ways that we're familiar with, mm-hmm. but you might, That's for right. a whole number of reasons, That's it right. might be a different context. Mm-hmm. That's right. We could talk about that for the next two hours, the issues around communication. What I will say about communication is the more we move into email and text, the more degraded communication is becoming. Oh, yes. You know, over 50%, there's many different studies, but over 50% of receivers misinterpret the message of the written word of an email. And I think it's even worse on text because people are very short on text. I tell people all the time, either set, you can set a voicemail through text, a voice message if you want, but really pick up the phone and talk to somebody. If you've got anything other than a superficial conversation to have with them. A direct request. Can you send this to me? Or is that very simple, but email and text are not convert, not places for conversations. That's right. And even in oral communication, you know, the numbers are somewhere in the neighborhood of the mid seventies that the receiver is interpreting them correctly. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly, you know, what we're talking about here, right? It is getting these words up in the dictionary. What does that word actually mean? Okay. We may be using words in a way that we're used to using them. That's really does not, it has nothing to do with the denotation of the word. Exactly. And that's why it's only in like the mid seventies. So you've still got, you know, 25% of people misunderstanding your oral communication. That is really unacceptable. Yes. And to take the time to work on these things and train people on how to communicate in an effective manner. I mean, good God, you're, there's, it's going to solve a lot of your problems. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And then we have, now we're, we're to a certain extent talking about one-to-one conversations yep. or one-to-many conversations. There's a speaker, a group, right? probably some back and forth, but everybody's in the listening to it. Uh-huh. And then you've got that age old game, whisper a secret to somebody and it goes around the circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've talked about this before in podcasts. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It ends up being something different by the time it gets back. Yeah. yeah. Probably not even relevant to what it was. And then we wonder mm-hmm. when that happens in organizations, why does it happen? Mm-hmm. because everybody's interpreting that's right something their own way and we're not confirming that's right i do some work with i do it with everybody eventually it comes up i wait until it comes up about looking at you know somebody will be telling me a story about something and i'll start taking notes on that, that story and as i'm listening i'm taking two different columns of notes one of those columns are the actual facts of the story it was 10 past 2 when this happened that's a fact the other side of that is the story that you make up around the facts. Exactly. <laughs> and that's that's where the problems occur, really. Yes. And what ends up happening is those two things end up collapsing like a Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. And in the middle becomes your truth. But it's not really the, but it's not the truth. It's right. just your truth. And you're living in a way 
like it's the truth. Being able to coach people around separating those things takes time. I mean, I can do an exercise, but one exercise isn't going to solve all that immediately. Right. It's going to help them start. The thing about working inside of blind spots and, and helping get those out from people is that now, once you recognize what those blind spots were, once you get them out, you can now put structures in place. Yes. To keep them from limiting your progress. And that the more you then share that, yep. right. Others become invested in your That's success right. and will, will support you. Mm-hmm. Think of the impact, Jane, if a CEO were to share a story of that with his or her entire organization of that blind spot and the distinction around it and what that made him or her realize at how that was limiting them, negatively affecting their organization, whatever that might be. Think of you as the receiver of if that organization, the impact that would have on you to hear your CEO share something like that. Oh, man. Yeah. In their, yeah. In their commitment to becoming a culture of feedback. Yes. The thing is, you're moved by it. Emotion. And then you're enrolled in what they're trying to create. That's right. And there's a willingness to believe mm-hmm. it's possible. Because mm-hmm. so so often we hear grandiose plans, but there's no acknowledgement around it. You know, all these challenges we're having in the world right now. And CEOs and leaders and say, I'm so sorry that happened. I'm never going to let that happen again. Mm-hmm. And everybody's right. going, oh, yeah. Yeah, right. You haven't Preach told me that. one thing that you're going to do to prevent it from ever happening again. Correct. I mean, there's one being accountable is one thing. Being accountable and putting it and putting a structure in place around it is a very different thing. Is taking it to the, you know, that's where I say alignment is going to solve all your problems. It's, it's going to get you on the path to solving the problems that you have. Because we work and we relate in mm. communication. That's right. And when we don't have clear communication mm-hmm. and we're not even open to looking at yeah, the possibility. Is, is that the problem? Right. <laughs> Did you misinterpret what I said? Yeah. You know, it's funny because when we're talking about when I asked that question about, you know, what's the most what do you think is the most important department to our success? Yes. When I get that after when they answer, I ask them why they why they believe that. <laughs> that I mean, they're in, you know, even though that's a discovery conversation initially. That starts to allow me to start coaching them as I'm asking these questions. Well, Mr. Sales guy, you know, Mr. Sales said, why do you think you're the most important guy to the success? You know, could you do this without product? Could you do it without, you know, AP and AR, the people who are going to collect the money that you guys just sold? They're going to pay your salespeople that are out. That's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly right. And, you know, partly it's like I said, it's bringing things out. People are just not thinking like that. Right. Yeah. We don't think of, the interdependencies. Yeah. We right. we think in isolation. Well, in silos often, which is yes. not healthy. It's not, yes. it's not, it's not effective, it's not productive. No. Working in silos. And the more complicated things become, mm-hmm. the more we have to do that. Yeah. We have to get out of our silos, talk to others, mm-hmm. ensure that we're as close on the same page as we can get. Yeah. As we look to the future in business, in life, in the world, mm-hmm. this is where we're having all of our challenges. Well, yeah, right. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you are exactly right. Yeah, I mean, you know, social media, um, I've noticed, you know, I've noticed LinkedIn often turning into Facebook and that worries the hell out of me, mm-hmm. frankly. 
I'm like this, these political conversations do not belong here. It doesn't belong. Yeah. You know, again, it, that's a whole other podcast, but I'm, I'm almost perpetually worried <laughs> about that. And it just, the yeah. reason I even bring it up is yeah. not that we're going to solve it here. No. It's just to remind us how important mm-hmm. our communication is. Yeah. Because when we, we work with people probably more than we spend time with our families even. Yeah. Even if you're working remote, working from home, you're still sitting mm-hmm. working. We see the challenges and we're all sort of at work going and we think the same direction. Yeah. Well, and not just that, Jane, I think that an old coach of mine said this to me long, long ago, and I think there's a great deal of truth to it. Uh, You know, well north of 50% truth in this statement. You don't have business problems. You have personal problems that show up in your business. I mean, well north of 50%, probably closer to 90. We just, you cannot, no human being can completely separate who they are as a human being at home from who they are as a human being at work. Can't do it. Right. I mean, you'd probably need to be a sociopath to do that. When we can recognize that we've got whole people with whole lives at work, mm-hmm. may not be able to deal with all of that, but we can give space for it and make it okay. Mm-hmm. Again, we open up the space for other things to happen. Because when you don't think of that day that you've gone to work in a bad mood with a headache and everything, and how much did you get accomplished? Because you you couldn't say anything and you're just focused on, oh, I got to work. I got to work try and get this out of the way of my head. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work. No. And then if you go to work and there's somebody to share with and you just, you've got that time and the space, the rest of the day, you're much more productive. You know, I'll tell you, I think one of the great things that has happened that has come out of this, let me call it a shit show over the past two years that we've been <laughs> dealing with two and a half <laughs> years now. I would say the best thing to come out of this is people realizing, you know, employees, for one, and I'm not saying they're all correct about this, realizing that companies need to be doing things in a different way that works for them. I, I, I said this to somebody yesterday. There is, there's like, at least in the business that you know I'm in and the kind of companies I work with, it's not like you're clocking in at nine and clocking out at five. Not like, you know, or as we used to refer to as banker's hours, right? There are still jobs like that. I believe that giving, I mean, you know, you can give people a mental health day. I think that's a great thing to do as a human resources, you know, HR people are putting that kind of thing in place and that's all fine and dandy. You know, it's like doing the annual review. It is antiquated. Nobody should be doing annual reviews anymore. You need to do the reviews when they're necessary to do them. That's once a quarter, that's once a week, (laughs) whatever that might be for you. What's, What's important is that people are realizing, especially those that work from home, you know what, I'm going to take a 15 minute break and go make lunch or go throw a load of wash in or go play with my dog or play with the cats or whatever that might be. Because it's not about punching a time clock. It's getting your work done in a really healthy and productive way. Mm -hmm. And I believe more and more companies are starting to really come around to that, you know, and, and that's really the way it should be. I mean, I worked for a company long, long time ago when I got my start 30 years ago. Well, you know, this is you, you work from here to here, you take, you know, an hour break, you know, you would take a break from here to here, you know, at your t- and then blah, 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 and, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, what that did, of course, was, was teach me, it gave me something guideline to follow. Right. Right. And when you're learning something new, that's important that you put that time in. But if it means taking a 15 minute coffee break because you need it for your mental sanity, you know, just do it. 
it's 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 not about I don't know. I read something in Insider re- recently about I cannot remember the name of these companies, but the companies that they put tracking, basically tracking software that on other on its employees' computers. And the individual who designed one of them had it put on his own computer and realized what a horror show it was once it was on his own machine. And, you know, people started to discover, wait a minute, why is my paycheck short? Because it looks at you in 15 minute increments. Let's say you, you know, you have to run to the, run to the bathroom and it's in that 15 minute increment that it's just tracking you and you're gone for two minutes. You don't get paid for the whole 15. And I thought, who would work for a company like this? Right. Why would anyone work for a company like that? Talk about big brother. Oy. Yes. And the thing is, from the leadership perspective, it's very often. It's not always. There are. Right. It's do what we say, not that what we, we do. do. Of course. Yeah. I can't. I, I have zero patience for that. You know. Oh, yeah. And 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 that's even with the things like the, the take a mental health day. Mm-hmm. Has anyone in your senior leadership taken a mental health right. day and shared it with someone. That's right. That's a very good question. Right. And, or, you know, are these companies like that, I don't know, Google, Netflix, whatever that have unlimited vacation. Exactly. And time off. Who's taking any of that. Right. Cause they're being, if they're being worked to death, they don't, they can't actually take any time. Right. And do they see their management, their leadership taking that time That's off? Right. That's right. So it's it's then not a safe thing to do. Clearly, uh, we're on the same page here on this. And I think my biggest concern, at least just around leadership, and like I said, that's only that's only part of what I do. Um, that a lot, lot of companies just don't take the time to to actually do it. I've got something else that's more important right now. How much more important is it really if three months from now something falls apart because you didn't do this work now, right? Proactively. You know, everybody knows when you do it reactively, it costs exponentially more to do it. Going so, back and fixing something. That's right. You know, you look at infrastructure in this country and, you know, people don't want to spend money on infrastructure. Okay. Well, when that bridge collapses and how many people die, guess what that's going to cost you. And, and, the, and by the way, those families, mm-hmm. more and more people aren't realizing that the importance of doing things proactively rather than reactively. I think there's still a lot of old leadership thought. Leadership that got trained certain ways or leadership that didn't never, unfortunately, mm-hmm. never really got right. trained. They yeah. started a company, mm-hmm. had a great market and sector, so it exploded. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, I'm a leader now. Mm-hmm. But they really don't have an idea of what being a leader is other mm-hmm. than we got to make everybody work so that we mm-hmm. meet our, our goals. Right. Sell as much as we can. Right. You know, I've got a buddy who's a professional horse trainer. I've just had him out three times to uh, work with me and this mirror that I bought at the end of February. And it's interesting because I should have called him sooner. She almost put me in the hospital a month after I got her. At that point, I did not know why she had a rodeo in the middle of my ride. I ended up with three broken ribs and a broken scapula. And, you know, when you get to be old like me, you don't heal quite as fast. I, you know, he said, yeah, you should have called me right when you first got her. I knew she had some issues, but I did not know about these. Anyway, I've been working really hard with her. She's coming along. And I thought, let me have him come out. We were chatting about, you know, his, his, where he works. He works for a nonprofit. The guy's one of the most extraordinary horse trainers I've ever seen. He, he was promoted to becoming the ranch manager for this organization. And this organization is, you know, it's like a $60 million organization. It's, it's big. It's very well known here in town. They promoted him and gave him zero leadership training. 
because he was really good at what he did. The next thing you know, something happens, which he didn't even wasn't unaware of because he didn't know even what it meant to have a culture of feedback or even build one. I discussed it with him the first time he was down. He ended up getting demoted back to head trainer, which is fine. They ended up hiring somebody who was a manager of a, re- a Western regional store. The point of the com- the point of the story is that they promoted him and gave him no training. Mm-hmm. You know, probably because they don't want to spend the money. I don't know. They've got over sixty million dollars in the bank. How do you not have the money to train someone? I mean, that's a lot of money for a nonprofit. And I felt bad for him. I mean, I feel bad for him, but I mean, he's got less of a headache now, certainly. He and I had a long talk about it. You know, I mean, don't ever go to work for anybody again who's not going to give you the training, the coaching that you need to succeed in that job. And why are you setting me up to fail? And it happens everywhere. Let's take our number one sales guy and move him, make him a first line sales manager and then not give him any training. That happens. I've seen that for 30 years. Oh, you're, you're the, you're our best software developer. We're going to make you the program manager for this program. Right. They can't talk to anybody. They're a great software developer, yeah, but yeah. they, and then no training. Definition of insanity, my friend. Yes. I don't get it. Carol, our time is about up. So what last piece of advice would you like to share? That I believe uh, founders and CEOs, board members, the people who are really responsible for these companies, be open to the possibility that the way they're doing things is not really effective mm-hmm. and that they should look at look at a different way of doing things if they really want a holistic, healthy company. And that holistic, healthy company really includes... People that are enrolled and engaged. Correct. And a healthy bottom line also. Right. But you can't know that until you go in and start looking. Yes. 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 Well, thank you so much, Carol. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us this week on Leadership Reimagined. I encourage you to take something that you heard today and apply it in your business. The key to progress is action and sharing. I'd love to hear what you accomplish. Email me at jlovis at lovisconsulting.com and let me know. Speaking of applying it in your business, if you're struggling or looking to expand your leadership skills, let's talk. You can go to lovisconsulting.com. That's L-O-V as in Victor, A-S, consulting.com and schedule a quick call with me. We need powerful, strong, compassionate leaders to solve the challenges we are facing today. Please subscribe on your favorite platform and share with your friends and family. Thank you for supporting us as we cause and expand 1 million women leaders in tech by 2030. Have a great week, and I look forward to seeing you next week.